0: We turn this morning to the 17th chapter of John. We've been looking at the the prayer of Jesus. Last Sunday we spoke on finishing the work of salvation today, finishing the work of discipleship. John 17, we begin at verse 6 and read through verse 19. Jesus said, I've manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept Your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and those things or these things I speak in the world, so that they may have joy, my joy, made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this marvelous, wonderful, powerful prayer of Jesus as He prays for these men that the Father had given to Him to disciple, to train, to equip for the ministry to which You called them. Father, thank You for the love that You have shown to us in Your Son. Thank You for the work that You started in them that You completed And your desire that the work that you started in us also would be completed. For the glory and the praise of your name, in Jesus' name, Amen. What is your reaction when you read what the Bible says about these men that Jesus chose? Men that had all kinds of hang-ups, all kinds of problems, falling short in so many ways. You know, sometimes when we read about the disciples, we kind of look down our nose and say, you know, what is wrong with you? I mean, you walked literally with Jesus. You you saw Him do all these miracles, yet you didn't trust in Him. And you're arguing about who's the greatest. It's very easy to do that, isn't it? And yet when I read what the Bible says about these men, I, I'm encouraged. And the reason why I am encouraged because these men like me are a work in progress. Ask my wife. She'll tell you that. We are all a work in progress. Jesus started the work with these men by saving them, but He didn't stop there. He discipled them. He taught them. He trained them. He equipped them for life and, and ministry. So what Jesus starts, <laughs> He finishes. In the first part of this prayer, Uh, Jesus said that he finished the work that the Father had given him to do. In verse 4, he said, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished what you have given me to do. And the work that Jesus focuses on, on those first five verses of this prayer, it's the work of salvation. Through his life and death and resurrection, uh, Jesus provided the gift of, of everlasting life. So as we come to verse 6 here through verse 19, uh, Jesus' prayer focuses really on the continuation of His work through the men that He had chosen. Uh, Bruce Milne says the implication is clear. The disciples are the tangible expression of the completion of His work. So when Jesus left this world, He left behind these men. These men that he He had poured His life into, These men that would build the church that that he was establishing, uh, they would continue his work. That's why Jesus prays for them. He prays for these men, that God would work in them in such a wonderful way that they would continue the work that he himself had started. So as we look at uh, this part of Jesus' prayer, we see what he did To prepare them for what He called them to do. He discipled them in in three very clear ways. Notice, first of all, Jesus discipled His men by manifesting the Father's name to them. Verse 6, Jesus said, I have manifested Your name to the men You gave Me out of the world. They are Yours, and You gave them to Me, and they have kept Your word. The word manifest means to reveal or to make visible. It implies that the disciples were going to really understand, really need to understand, uh, who God is. And so Jesus revealed to them the Father's name, which is really revealing to them His character. Now when you choose a name for your children, sometimes you choose it because what the name means but a lot of parents don't. They just kind of like the sound of the name. But names in Scripture are important. And the name of God reveals to us something about His character. Now, the name that Jesus manifested to His disciples, I believe, He's referring to the name I Am. How many times did Jesus say I Am throughout the Gospel of John? And that name we find for the first time in In Exodus chapter 3, remember when Moses was being called by God to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and he was giving God all these excuses why he couldn't do it? Well, one of them is found in chapter 3 when he says, They might ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses in Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now it's interesting, the name I am comes from the Hebrew verb to be or to exist. So when God describes himself with this name, he is declaring several things about himself. No one created God because he is self-existent. There was never a time when God did not exist because He is eternal. God needs nothing from us because He is holy and completely self-sufficient. And God will always be the same because He is unchanging. All of that is wrapped up in that name, I Am. So that name points to the fact that there's no one greater than God. He is above all. Now, in John chapter 8, Jesus is dealing with some of the Jewish religious leaders. And he's, and he's answering some of their criticisms of him. And he says in verse 56, Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. Now think of this. Here's Jesus standing before them. Abraham had lived thousands of years before that. He said, Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And they're saying, Well, wait a minute. You're not even 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, and here's the key, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. What's he saying? He's telling these, these religious leaders that he is God. They knew exactly what he was saying. They knew that name from Exodus chapter 3. And Jesus is saying to them, I am. I am the true God. I am manifesting this name to you. I am manifesting and revealing to you the character, the attributes of this God. So look at all of those times in John chapter 7 where Jesus said, I am. Chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He is the one who gives and sustains spiritual life. I am the light of the world. Jesus is the one who leads us out of spiritual darkness. I am the door of the sheep. He is the entrance into the flock of God. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the one who conquered death for us. I am the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the true vine. He is the one who makes us spiritually fruitful. So all of these statements, these I am statements of Jesus, revealed to the disciples and revealed to us who God is. He is all of these things. And that's just part of, part of who God is. These disciples desperately needed to know who this God is. If they were going to finish the mission that that Jesus gave them, they needed to know that He has the power to meet every need in their lives. Jesus is saying to them, whatever it is that you need, I am. (laughs) Isn't that great? What's your need today? Whatever your need is today, Jesus can meet that need. I am the true God. Now if you jump ahead to chapter 18 of John, There's quite an amazing display of the power of that name. Because in John chapter 18, Jesus is being arrested. And we find that story, John chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. And when these men came, the Roman cohort and the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, they came with lanterns and torches and weapons. In verse 4, so Jesus, knowing that all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus, the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And guess what happened when Jesus said, I am he? It says they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, if you read in your Bible, you will notice probably, at least most translations do this, the word he is italicized. That's not for emphasis. (laughs) That means the word he actually isn't there. Jesus said, I am. He identified himself as the true God, and when he said the name of God, these men fell to the ground. (laughs) The disciples saw that. An evidence of the great power that there is in the name of Jesus. I told some of you this story, but when I was rollerblading one time, I had a couple of dogs after me. I'm fast on rollerblades, but I don't know if I could outrun this dog. And I was thinking, okay, he's coming at me, teeth are just showing, hair on the back of his head. I'm thinking, okay, if I try and kick him on rollerblades, you know what I'd do? I'd go right on my back. All I had was a bottle of water. And I was yelling at that dog, get out of here, get out of here. He did nothing. Finally, I said, in Jesus' name, get out of here. He turned around and walked away. Huh. there must be power in the name of Jesus. Huh. Now I'm not going to guarantee every time you say that to a dog of a dove, but at that point, Jesus said, okay, you're trusting in me, I'm going to take care of you. That name, There is. there is no other name like the name of Jesus. He manifested the Father's name to these men, and they needed to know that name. They were facing a challenge unlike they've ever faced before. But they had a God who could meet their every knee. So Jesus discipled his men by manifesting the Father's name to them. Notice the second thing Jesus did. Jesus discipled his men by giving the Father's word to them. The word give, you read through this chapter, you, you, you find the word 17 times in this chapter. And I'll be Captain Obvious again and say, you know, that that's pretty pretty significant. This word must be pretty important. Eight of those times are found in our text. And so it's pretty clear that the Father and the Son know how to give. <laughs> they know how to give. There's a couple ways here that we see uh, this giving spirit of the Father and the Son. Now think about this. We are the Father's gift. Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? We are the Father's gift to Jesus. Mention repeatedly, you go back to verse two, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him may have eternal life. Verse six, I've manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they've kept your word. Verse 9, I ask on their behalf. I don't ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given to me, for they are yours. Ever thought of yourself as the Father's gift to Jesus? If you know Jesus, that's exactly what you are. Meditate on that for a while. Wow. I am the Father's gift to Jesus? Jesus? When the Father gives us to Jesus, there's some assembly required, right? <laughs> it has got to put our lives together. But think of that. We are the Father's gift to Jesus. The second thing he mentions, the words of the Father. The words of the Father is Jesus' gift to us. Verse 8, the words which you gave me, Jesus says to the Father, I have given to them. And they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. The words which you gave me, Jesus said, I have given to them. And these disciples received the words of Jesus because they knew that these words came from the Father. This gave the disciples confidence in their mission because those words could be trusted. Everything that Jesus said to them was true. It came from the Father. And you know what? As we open the Word of God, that's the confidence that we can have in God's Word. Since it comes from God, we can trust it. And because we can trust it, we ought to proclaim it with conviction knowing that it is exactly what people need to hear. You ever thought, you know, when, it, when you think, okay, the Lord wants me to witness to someone, ever thought to yourself, well, they're not going to believe it anyhow. They're not going to listen. Just remember, they need what we have to share. They need that message. And as a pastor, this is what gives me great joy and hope and ministry. As long as I am faithful to the Word of God, Faithful to that word that that the Father gave to Jesus to give to us. I don't have to wonder if I'm giving wise counsel or not. I know that there's nothing that is more important than for people to hear the message that we have to proclaim. We need to remember that. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have to proclaim is something every person needs. They may not know it, they may not receive it, but they need it. We ought to share it with them. If you had a cure for cancer, you had a cure for Alzheimer's disease, would you not share it? Of course you would. We have the cure for a much greater problem. We have the message that saves the lives of people from their sins. We need to share it. We have a mission. To proclaim God's word. So Jesus... Discipled his men by giving the Father's word to them. And then thirdly, I love this, Jesus discipled his men by asking for the Father's protection for them. There are several reasons why the disciples needed this protection. For one thing, Jesus was no longer going to be physically with them. Look at verse 11. Jesus said, I am no longer in the world. Yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. What is his prayer? He said, keep them, keep them in your name. The name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus' relationship with these men was about to change significantly, in a fundamental way. His departure would would result in in really a, a crisis for them. This, was, this would be one of the, the, the hardest struggles in their life. After walking with Jesus for these three years, and then He says, you know, I'm going to go away and you, and you can't come yet? Wait, wait, wait a minute. Their faith was, was really tested. So Jesus said, Father, keep them. I'm no longer going to be here physically present. Lord, keep them. And keep them because... The world in which they were to remain was not going to love them. In fact, Jesus said in verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I assume that this wasn't the most pleasant word that they had ever heard from Jesus, but they needed to know that. They needed to know that this world is, is not a friend of, of Jesus, not a friend of the Christian, not a friend of biblical truth. And I'll tell you what, the longer I have lived in this world, the more that becomes clear. We're living in a day when the truth of God's Word is being rejected by many. And we who bear the name of Jesus, we who want to stand on His Word, we're not going to be loved by the world. Jesus said, if they hated Me... They'll hate you as well. And you add to that, they needed the Father's protection because they have and we have an enemy who is out to destroy us. Jesus gives an example of what this enemy did in the life of one of his disciples, in the life of Judas. In verse 12, Jesus said, While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you've given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. Judas was a man who, would we say, followed Jesus, at least outwardly. But there came a point when Satan won the battle for his soul. In John chapter 13, verse 27, it says, After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. And so the betrayal of Jesus by Judas was quite a sobering reminder of the enemy of their soul. How Satan entered into him. How he is indeed a powerful foe. The roaring lion, as Peter describes him, was looking for someone to devour. We need to remember, don't we, that we are in a battle. The devil, the world, and our own flesh. We need to put our armor on. We need to recognize every day that this is a battle for life. A battle of life and death. A roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And one of the ways that Satan seeks to destroy us is by dividing us. By dividing the body of Christ in in any way that He can. And this is why Jesus prays that the Father will protect them from division. Verse 11, I'm no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That was Jesus' prayer. Lord, keep these guys together. Keep them united. Keep them one. And as you read through the epistles of Paul, how often he mentions about how we are to be of one mind. We're part of one body. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is over all. And we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, there's something... Um, about being united together that really helps us in in dealing with with satan when we 're divided when we 're separated from one another, we are much more prone to fall to temptation we don 't have the accountability or encouragement that we need to withstand the devil 's attack and many believers have learned this the hard way, separating from the body over some issue and they isolate themselves and And sadly, many end up shipwrecked spiritually. I suppose it would be easier if Jesus just took us out of the world the moment we were saved, right? Put our trust in Jesus. We don't have to battle the world, the devil, our own flesh. Just take us to glory. Just rapture us right out, huh? But he hasn't done that. He has a purpose for us in this world. And notice how he describes it. verse 15, Jesus said, I don't ask you to take them out of the world but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Uh, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Then verse 18, Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, Father, I also have sent them into the world. So there's our purpose, right? We are not of the world, but we are sent into the world. Just as the Father sent Jesus into the world, He sends us into the world. We're not here just to survive. Lord, help me just to make it to heaven. We are here to have a mission, a purpose, because there are people all around us. They don't know Jesus. And that word that the Father gave to Jesus to give to us, we are to give to them, right? Share that that good news. So we have a mission to do. We have work to perform. And notice how Jesus prays for us that we might do it with joy. Verse 13. But now I come to you, Jesus said, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Uh, Bruce Milne says, despite the formidable foes which will confront them, the disciple community can experience the very joy of Christ. And Jesus prays that they will. It is surely remarkable that he can refer to his own joy when he knows that the most appalling suffering is about to engulf him. And he says, nor is it a passing or spasmodic joy to which he refers, it is the full measure of his joy. Neither the hostility from without nor the apostasy from within has quenched the joy of Jesus, nor need it do so in the case of his disciples. So, can we have joy in a world that hates us? Can we have joy against an enemy who seeks to destroy us? Is it possible to have joy and? In a world like that, the answer is yes, if you look at this prayer. Why? Because of Jesus, we can know the one who is completely able to meet every need in our lives. He's the great I Am. Because of Jesus, we have a powerful message that is able not only to change our lives, but to change the lives of all who are lost in sin. And because Jesus prays for us, we have the, we have the Father's protection. He will guide us. He will guard us. He will keep us from all the attacks that come upon us as we seek to do His will. If you know Jesus, He's begun a good work in you. And He has committed to finish it. And if you don't know Jesus, He can begin a good work in you today. Today can be the day of your salvation. When you come to that place, you realize you need Jesus. You confess your sin to Him. You put your trust in Him. You receive by faith that gift of, of everlasting life. You know, Jesus loves you just the way you are. You come to Him just as you are. But He also loves you too much to let you stay that way. That's the beauty of it, right? Just as I am, I come. I come, as one man said, warts and all, right? I come with all the, <laughs> the hang-ups and the failures and sins in my life, and and I come and Jesus cleanses me and forgives me. But then He starts a a work of of transformation, changing me, making me more like Jesus. Who would not want that? Don't you want Jesus today to save you, to cleanse you, to equip you, to be of of His work, uh, involved in His work in this world? What a great prayer. What a wonderful prayer. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Do you know Him as your Savior? I trust you do. And if not today, invite Him. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Be my Savior. Come into my life. Lord, begin that wonderful uh, change that starts in salvation and continues until the day that Jesus comes again. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the work that you have done on the cross for us, how you died and rose again. And thank you, Lord, for the work that you did in the lives of these men that you had chosen, men who had had failures in many ways. But Father, you, uh, you love them and you, you transform them. Do that work in us today. And Lord, if there's someone listening to this message who does not know you as their Savior, would you draw them to yourself? May they be that gift of the Father to Jesus. That gift that Jesus takes then and and transforms and uses for his glory and his praise. Lord Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. In your name we pray. Amen.